0: Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Jordan Scott. Jordan has been fighting for years to eliminate the baseball rule that was enacted decades ago by the courts and a handful of state legislators. The baseball rule states that if a fan is injured by a high-speed foul ball at a baseball game, as long as the home team has taken minimum steps to protect the fans, they cannot receive any compensation. So we're going to be talking to him about that and how he got into that and Anything else he wants to talk about? Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, It's great to be here. I've been on this campaign for about two years, and there's so much that I've learned and continue to learn. Uh, Definitely the baseball rule is something that I'm glad you brought up right away, and happy to talk about how that has been such a big part of baseball and how that has not incentivized the team owners to take care of the problem. So appreciate you bringing that up.
0: Well, I know I explained in my words what the baseball rule is, but I'll let you explain it since you're the expert and, and what is your argument against it?
1: Sure. So baseball for a hundred and a hundred more and 107 or eight years They've had a clause. They've had something, a disclosure, that when you had purchased the ticket to a game, it told you on the back of the ticket, and today, maybe on the back of the e-ticket, that they will not be responsible. They will not be held responsible for a ball that makes an injury or creates an injury. I believe that most people come to the games not thinking that a baseball is going to come and ruin their lives. So if they had an advanced knowledge of this, I think they would say that that disclosure of what baseball is telling us is somewhat hypocritical. They know from prior knowledge that somebody will be seriously injured or maimed or killed on a weekly or a biweekly basis um, throughout major leagues and they do nothing to highlight that. The regulatory agencies, I believe, if they knew about this, they would have come in certainly around 50 years ago when a 14-year-old young man, Alan Fish, had been killed at the Dodger game. In 2019, the last full baseball season, they they were in a in a 26 and one half week season, there were 15 people, one five, 15 people that was seriously injured and documented all of the injuries. There was a list of the injuries that these 15 people experienced in a 26 and one half week season. And that's almost an average of every two weeks somebody being seriously injured. And certainly in the minor leagues, where there are three times as many more baseball games, some would say, wow, and that was only from the major leagues. So possibly in the same amount of time, there could have been three times as many more of those serious injuries.
0: Well, what is the rationale behind the rule? Because I mean, I mean, somebody like me, I'm blind, so you might have I know I have blind friends that go to baseball games. So what is the rationale behind that to make sure that they're not injured? Because even a sighted person can get injured and killed. But, you know, other people that are disabled, they have a disadvantage.
1: Very much, very much. And um, unfortunately, today in 2021, in 42 and at least 42 minor league ballparks, Uh, Major leagues, there's 30 teams. Minor leagues, there's 120 teams. So in the 150 ballparks, I surveyed nearly 100 minor league ballparks, attempted to reach all 120, but I got to almost 100 and found out that at least 42 ballparks in the minor leagues still did not have netting past the end of dugouts. The little girl who had that serious head injury in Houston in 2019, she was hit with a ball past the end of the dugout. Unfortunately, that could happen today in the minor leagues in at least 42 ballparks. The only way that someone, whether they can see, whether they can see, are in a good place at a game is if we know that these ballparks have had some sort of independent netting council outside of baseball that had come in and took a look at the landscape of each of the minor league and major league ballparks and were able to tell the teams, this is where you need to put the nets. This will prevent these serious injuries. This is how far, this is how wide, this is how high those nets need to go. I think it is possible to create a serious injury-free environment at these ballparks and 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 allow handicapped or people who are visually impaired, can't see, or just a regular fan to be reassured that they and their family will have the most safe experience, whether that experience will still bring foul balls that come up and come down and possibly land on folks possibly but that needs to those discussions need to take place on what would be still considered acceptable in allowing foul balls to reach fans there's no discussions Curtis there's no table round tables of these type of things Um, possibly until I came along around two years ago so,
0: have you interviewed any baseball players about this issue, and do they share the same concerns, or are they unaware of it?
1: Oh, they are aware of it. It's a double standard, unfortunately. The a couple of players that I've interviewed were minor league players who have to bear the burden, knowing they're in a community that inevitably will hurt or seriously hurt someone. They do tell their own mom and dad or their own families, please, please sit behind the net. But they're not doing any sort of heroic act by getting on the public address and telling everybody else. Uh, They they are in a position where they are compromised. They They are in the middle of a dream of trying to become major leaguers. They don't want to become whistleblowers. But they've told me on the record how they feel. It's not a good feeling being in a community that will inevitably hurt someone. They know it's not a matter of if somebody will be seriously injured, it's when. That's the minor leagues. And the major league players who had gone through the minor leagues, who you would think that once they became major leaguers, would have paved the way for safe baseball in the minor league community. But they haven't as of yet. The only time we hear from the major league players and when they go on the record is usually in the aftermath of somebody seriously being injured, similar to the little girl that was hurt in Houston in 2019. And then you had players telling us how they felt. And, uh, but unfortunately it, it doesn't get to the union negotiation and it doesn't have a ripple down effect. There's been three or four different negotiating periods between the union and MLB that has asked for nets, but it's the fans that are sitting in the seats. We don't need to be a negotiating chip, n- negotiating chip. We need to be seriously taken. We, we need to be taken seriously and fans need to come to foul ball safety now and sign the petitions that I have about repealing the baseball rule and about more nets. So I hope that answers some of that.
0: Well, how did you come to be involved in this and create the organization that you have created?
1: Yes, thanks for asking that because um, I'm a baseball fan, and I know, I know the balls go into dangerous sections. I've had a few experiences where I was close up. I had one experience in 2006 where I paid a lot of money for a ticket, but. It was the only ticket I could find on that particular day. It was a big playoff game. I was sitting next to uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the celebrity, and I did not comprehend how these folks who sit here on a regular basis could can do it and be cool about it because I was nervous the whole game. Since that experience, the Nets have expanded to the end of the dugouts in most ballparks, except in a couple of minor league ballparks, which I found out, that did not even have netting starting in 2021 over the dugouts. But that's the worst of the worst. Uh, But up until 2015, 2016, no teams had nets over the dugouts. And I don't know how people could have sat in those sections year after year after year. I sat there that one time. That was one experience. Another time I was at a minor league game, with a group of people, and the ball actually came flying outside the stadium where I was standing on the street with a group of people, and it hit a young person we were with in the forearm, and it made a big mark. Now, whether that hit him in the head or in the eye, would that have caused life-altering experience? Maybe. I don't know. But clearly, there should be some system in place for a hard ball that comes flying up and comes flying down outside onto the street. And they had no plan in place then, and they have no plan in place now, because I found out recently from somebody who attended the same ballpark in Coney Island, Brooklyn, where I'm from, the Brooklyn Cyclones, who hosted this game 15, 20 years ago and who still hosts games today, there's no plan in place to deal with the balls that fly outside the stadium in that particular ballpark.
0: Well, how do the families and the injured feel about not being protected by baseball? Have you had a chance to talk to some of them?
1: Yes. And unfortunately, the folks that have been hurt, they've been coming to my Zoom calls. Erwin Goldblum in particular, his wife was killed at the Dodger game in 2018. And uh, he's, he's been to six or seven of my Zoom calls this year and he's a spokesperson. It's very hard for these people that have been hurt uh, to go back to the game, to even watch the game. Uh, they're treated very disrespectfully by baseball. And I, unfortunately, baseball is, is probably told by their attorneys to disconnect, for the most part, from the fans that have been injured. These fans remain bitter, because they, they, they haven't received an apology, Uh, they haven't received compensation for their injuries. They don't even want to watch games anymore. And I think the only way these families will feel like watching baseball or going back to baseball is if baseball acknowledges their dark past and then we can move on and have a fresh era. And all of the acknowledgement of what baseball knows, if you Google any thing about foul balls you'll see a scrapbook of injuries year after year after year after year but still nothing has been done these incidences have been featured on shows like good morning america nbc did a study um, and implied that uh from the amount of injuries over eight or nine years uh from one year from eight year period from only four teams For first aid uh, independent contractors sharing data, uh, the numbers were about 800. Was that 707 plus another 100 miscellaneous? But if you factored in the other 26, the L.A. Times reported, as I did, they said possibly 4,500 injuries from the period of 2012 to 2019. And I'm not saying 4,500 lost eyes or crushed heads. Uh, but clearly there were more than a few and I've been talking to a few and I'm looking forward to hearing from possibly more than a hundred injuries when it comes to eyes and and heads that were life-altering and possibly, you know, just sad stories, bitter, bitter people feeling bitter for the, for the, for the right reasons because they've been ignored. I also documented Forty-three children, just from these searching from Google and other things, and uh, another lawsuit that was forwarded uh, uh, a part of, was forwarded over to me, uh, a grand jury, um, a class action suit. We we've been documenting stories. Forty-three children from the period of two thousand eight to two thousand nineteen mo- uh, injured with mostly head injuries and. And and that was that data. Those forty-three came mostly from the major leagues, which tells us that most of the minor leagues. There's a little less media there, and it's not as documented. So possibly three times as many more games in the minor leagues that time period. Are we talking more than 120 children with head injuries? I think that's a conservative number, and I believe. There's so much data that just has gone unrecorded, so we will not know the full story. But here at Foul Ball Safety Now, it's an opportunity to, for people to find us and tell us their story.
0: Well, tell us about your new book that's going to be coming out that addresses this issue and any other books or upcoming projects that you might be working on.
1: Yes, Curtis. This book is is I say it's nearly completed, but I guess it'll be done when the right editor and storyteller tells me it's done because I keep on meeting people every week, every other week who are interviewing with me. And so the interviews keep coming. And maybe this is part one uh, of of a book. Uh, Right now, I don't have enough audience for people to to share this book with. Uh, So I'm waiting to have more of an increased community of people that would be ready to take this book uh, in and absorb it all. Um, I'm going to be talking about all the shortcomings of everyone inside baseball. I believe the owners should be forced to sell their teams immediately. I believe the broadcasters who've been working in baseball for years have also remained silent as they refer to the baseball steroid era from 20 years ago, they should also refer to their own community as the broadcasters of silence because from the past to the present day, they haven't had an honest discussion with their TV or radio audiences about the realities of the foul ball scenario. You'll never hear a broadcaster say, hey, if a fan gets hurt or that fan who just got hurt uh, they're not even covered. They're not even going to get their uh, medical paid for. But So they have to refer to themselves as uh, the era of silence. Now, if they want to remain as broadcasters, they should refer to their own shortcomings because if, if, that's part of the discussion. Baseball is always a part of the past, present, and future. I can go on about the journalists doing the same because there's plenty of baseball journalists who look the other way, in my opinion, and they should have been sharing the same message they probably shared with their own families, with their readers. And unfortunately, no one wants to bite the hand that feeds them, is an old expression, and that goes for the broadcasters and the journalists. So nice. uh, was gonna, all that stuff will be included <laughs> in the thicker content. But it's, a lot of it's also on my website. Some of it is. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of your website, tell people what we can expect when we visit foulballsafetynow.com.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I have a collection of videos. I've, I've actually rented some airplanes in the last two months. One over Peoria, Illinois, with a video with local footage from their local news of the plane flying over and, and my own creative video person helping us. So some videos, there's some um, a lot uh, news media. I had a very nice uh mentions in People Magazine and Wall Street uh and, and Forbes magazine and LA Times, LA Daily News, Japan Times, Korean Times, different things they'll get caught up. Uh, unfortunately, even with those articles. There's always something missing. It's it's going to take the investigative piece or the book to really tell the story on how it should be told, and you know I'm an equal opportunity offender. I wanna I want to call out whoever I believe should be called out on this, and um, we all need to speak up. And I'm a fan, and maybe I should have come around sooner, but I'm trying to create this dialogue. I'm not the only one who knows this. And I'm not the only fan who knows this. I illustrated just a second ago about the broadcasters and the writers. Well, I believe fans know this as well, but I clearly believe that I could be an advocate for fan safety and awareness. And people can go to the website foulballsafetynow.com and sign the petitions or send me a message, or if they know somebody who was hurt by a foul ball or want to just discuss any questions with me uh you know i'm happy to talk to people on or off the record so you know platforms like these are really important to to get the word out yeah i hope that gets the message across i hope what we just talked about gets the message across to get people excited at least ambitious to be curious and go to foul ball safety now
0: well, besides your website are you on social media? How can people connect with you?
1: Yes, uh, we are kicking it up more with Facebook and uh Twitter and posting things on Facebook and twitter um so I think with going to the to Twitter and the Facebook with the foul Ball safety now connections, I think people will find us. I'm not that internet uh social savvy but clearly i'm trying to do what we can to 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 apply this conversation on all the channels so we can uh get people to join the conversation
0: well the old saying goes it's never too late to do the right thing do you have any final thoughts before we close it out oh thank
1: you I appreciate that. Uh, uh, it's just going to continue to pursue. I'm just going to continue to keep going. I may be knocking on doors in Washington, D.C., because that may be the next step, because uh, I hope to get one of these elected officials motivated to actually do something about this. But I'll just continue pushing uh, this conversation out, and I welcome any help or any conversation or any questions. So FoulBallSafetyNow.com, and I'm Jordan Scott, and um, real pleasure to talk to you today, Curtis.
0: Jordan, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining me. Real quick, I would like to remind listeners to follow, share, rate, and review after listening. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Jordan Scott. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ken
0: Curris. Share, rate, and review after listening. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living a Dream with Curveball podcast app. Jordan Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ken Curris.